Hi, and welcome to Comchurch Talks. This is our sermon of the day. We pray that it will be a real blessing to you. I know you'll be encouraged, challenged, and uplifted by the talk that you're about to hear. I don't know if you were here last week, but Sarah did an amazing word. It is well with my soul. And if you haven't heard it, guys, you've got to listen to it online. But I just want to just take in the, a little pricey because it, it, Sarah reminded us of Horatio Spafford. He was the guy that penned that amazing hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And, and he wrote that in the darkest of times. He didn't write that in an up moment. His life wasn't going amazingly. He wrote it in the darkest of times. And Sarah reminded us that we need to allow his, pay, his peace to reign and to not ignore those God-given warning lights. Well, I'm going to continue in that vein this morning and and look at what the Bible says about the soul. The Hebrew word for soul is nefesh, and it's found over 700 times in the Old Testament. And it talks about the whole living person. It's not about the eternal soul that we often use that word for in the Hebrew. It actually talks about well-being. This is about having a healthy mind and body. In Psalm 119, verse 175, it says, let me live that I may praise you in the NIV, but it literally translates as, let my nefesh live that it may praise you. So when we're singing, it is well with my soul. We're talking about our whole health, our whole being. You know, sometimes we compromise our spirit by living far too much in our soul. And we allow the soul to speak too loudly. And if we want to say, it is well, there are things that we've got to stop doing because they make our soul unwell. Well, let's have a look at Romans 12 and verse 2. It talks about transforming your thinking, transform your soul, your your whole being. The um, Passion Translation says this, Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. We need to master the control and health of the soul and align how we feel with what God says. So I've kind of subtitled this message, It's Not About You. Say to the person next to you, it's not about you. So you can reply with, hey, I'm offended. Well, it's not about you either. <laughs> you see, there are, there are two ways of saying it's not about you. We can do it as a nasty way. It's not about you. The world's not just about you. I have to say it to the children in my care at school sometimes. It's not about you. Get, get your nose out of, your, out of that person's business. It's not about you. As, um, before I was a Christian, I was a terrible gossip. I love gossip and, and I, my soul often wants to, to live like that. And when people tell me stuff, I'm like, oh, but I've got to remind yourself, remind myself, it's none of your business, Sarah. It's not, it's not about you. Some relationships, one person needs to remind it. It's not just about you. There are two people in the relationship. But you know, there's another way of saying it's not about you. 
It can be freeing. It's not about you. (laughs) That time when you were left out, that friend who rejected you, the parent who hurt you, that leader who insulted you, the colleague who was rude to you, it's not about you. (laughs) I always tell the the children who've been bullied at school, I, I say, it's not about you. This tells me everything about them and it tells me nothing about you. They're broken. People are broken. They're cold and hurting words. None of that was about you. Your career hasn't gone the way you hoped. Maybe your ministry isn't what you expected. You're not living in that big house of your dreams. Your marriage, your kids, your calling, none of it is about you. It's all about Jesus. And you know, sometimes we make things about us that were never meant to be about us. It becomes a terrible burden. It makes your soul unwell. And when we're preoccupied with ourselves, it feels like the world revolves around us. But that's not the gospel way. I did a brilliant devotion by a lady called Sharon Hodd-Miller, and it's called Free of Me. And it's inspired this message, really. You know, that's a way to, to live and counteract the culture of it's about me, to just be free of me. And we all know that if we could just stop being a people pleaser, if we could stop comparing and stop focusing on our mistakes and our issues, and we could stop dwelling on rejection, life would be so much easier. And yet taking the focus off ourselves and onto God is much harder than it sounds, isn't it? As humans, we're, we're broken people. We naturally look inwards and this makes the soul sick. The world sends out a message, see it all the time over Facebook. You're great. Focus on you. You're amazing. In fact, a lot of Christians perpetuate this with, God's got a great plan for your life. You're the head, you're not the tail. And while those things are not wrong and they're not bad, it takes the focus off God and puts it onto ourselves. Because when we're self-preoccupied, we start to assume that every comment and every rejection every issue that they have is about us. We become totally aware of of our flaws and our hang-ups. It's an area, I'm going to be really honest with you, I've struggled in this for years. Bullied for years, um, four years as as a child and for three years as an adult. And it hurts. And they left me with self hate and low self esteem. You know, it's so easy to live in the poor old me's, the, the poms, as my husband calls it. In fact, I'll be honest with you, my soul looked out this morning and went, there's not many people here. Maybe it's because they know I'm preaching. I'm, I'm just going to be really, really honest with you. And it can become soul-destroying when we live like this. If you've ever worked out your love languages, my love language is words of affirmation. (laughs) Well, that's great when people say nice things and you live it. And then when they forget, you can start to go, maybe they don't like me. Maybe I'm I'm not good enough. Well, Sharon Hodmiller that I was telling you about earlier, she says this, if you try and treat your self-preoccupation the way you treat low self-esteem, namely with affirmation, it actually makes the problem worse. The affirmation only feeds your self-focus and your need for more and more affirmation becomes insatiable. It's kind of like a mirror, I suppose. Um, I don't know about you, but if I see a mirror, I'm like, just have a quick 
makeup and oh, do I look like that? And, uh, I, there's a window. Oh, just oh gosh, I thought I looked better than that. Sometimes uh, we we look in mirrors and and we are not happy with what we see. And I, you know the the bullying I received, you're fat and ugly every day for four years, makes me feel like that um, all the time. I don't know how often you look in the mirror and you go. Psalm 139, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I very, very, very rarely do that. But you know, sometimes we hold up relationships as a mirror to us. And we allow other people or our possessions and even our profession to shape our self-image. And that's great if the reflection's good. We feel awesome when the reflection's good. But when that reflection is bad, we see it as judgment on ourselves. Using our lives as a mirror will cause us to think that everything's about us when it's not. You know, I do it all the time. She hasn't texted me back. And I can see that she's read the message. Or I I must have upset him. You know, you start to begin to take things personally. No one said thank you. It must be because I'm not valued. And that's when bitterness and offence can take hold, and this makes the soul sick. You see, when you treat people like mirrors, you create a world that's all about you. But we're meant to be mirrors of his glory. In 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18, the Passion says this, We can all draw close to him with a veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We're being transfigured into his very image. And we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord, who is spirit. It's all about him. It's not about us. Trouble is, we live in a social media generation now, don't we? And and social media... Um, studies have shown that uh, looking at Facebook and Instagram, all the, all the social media channels that are meant to be social, they're like the most anti-social thing, aren't they? But um, we, we judge our worth based on our likes and our comments. And we interpret that as some sort of measure. It's so easy to compare. Well, why don't people like my photos? What's, what's wrong with my kids? That person gets loads of attention and and I don't get any. Do people care about me less? And we spend our lives scrolling endlessly through other people's lives and we look at their lives and we start to become jealous and we start to covet the opportunities that they have. We're so busy comparing our lives with their filtered highlight reel. You see, if only is soul speak that's not spirit speak. I want to play you a little clip. It made me laugh. I, I hope you like it. It's called um, The Virtual Life. I'm just playing a little clip of it. Um, and it's a, a bit of a parody on social media. Every day we get on the internet And talk through our screens to everyone When words fail we speak Through emojis and me Oh, 
didn't make it <laughs> I saw it and I thought I must show the church if you just googled um, circle of life parody um, it's there but you know the virtual life it fools us all and we compare and we scroll and, and comparison that's a killer of our contentment actually putting ourselves first is a form of idolatry of course I'm, I'm going to go hard in Exodus 20 verse 3 says you shall have no other gods before me <laughs> we've got to stop saying it's not fair <laughs> is your is your confidence bound up in your successes and whether you succeed or you fail because if you're doing well you think you've got value and if you're not then you feel insecure We've got to start giving God glory when things are going well because he's the only one who can get us through the lows. You know, shame and guilt can make your soul sick. Soul control diminishes when the past loses its voice. You've got to tell your soul what to focus on. The enemy wants you to live in the echo of your past, but that's not God's way. Whatever mess you've made can be forgiven. And the guilt's there so that we can bring it to God, but we walk away free. The enemy is the one that turns it to shame. Psalm 42 verse 5 says, Why are you cast down, soul? Why are you disquieted? I will praise my God for the help of his countenance. You can look past your past. He has a hand ready to receive you. You are not what you feel you are, who he says you are. You know, when we live out of our soul, it means that we can often think that we're right. We can hold on to unforgiveness and this will affect your soul health. We think it's all about us and we become bitter because of the hurt. We need to position our faith correctly heaven deposits something in our heart and how often do we let it live in our soul instead of our heart instead of our spirit at some point we've got to turn our attention and fix it on the one who can heal our wounds and set us free it's reminded of the great story in Matthew uh, chapter 14 verses 29 to 31 when um, Jesus asked Peter to walk towards him on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down to the, um, out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. <gasps> I'm so excited about that. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. 
you of little faith. He said, why? Why did you doubt? Peter was doing so great as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus. And when Peter started to look at the circumstances, that's when he began to sink. How many times do we allow our problems and our issues to become the focus of our lives instead of on the one who can bring peace into that situation? We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus and not on ourselves. Lord, let us stop seeing problems, but see you. In fact, I was reading some medical research about this, and it's shown that it's not actually what happens to us that causes stress. It's what we think happens to us. And when we ruminate, when we have circular thinking that we keep going back over and over it in our mind, the stress then lives in our body, and it stays in our body long after the reason for the stress um, is over. And this makes your soul sick. You get high blood pressure, elevated heart rate, high levels of cortisol stay in your body. We often allow our problems to turn into worries and anxieties, and we look inwards, and we allow the soul to deal with it instead of letting faith arise in our spirit. Now, before that storm hits, we've got to pray and keep our eyes on him. Now, if you're feeling lonely or insecure, overlooked, you've probably read a few self-help books. <laughs> What's interesting about even the Christian self-help approach is that it's, um, it's quite different to God's. You see, the story of Moses, I know I talked about this last time, but Moses, when, when God called him to go and speak to Pharaoh, he felt stuck in his weaknesses and his disqualifications. Here's what, um, what God said. So Exodus 4, verses 10 and 11. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I've not been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? How did God respond to Moses? He didn't say, oh, Moses, come here. Let's have a hug. You're amazing. You're so brilliant. You've got such worth. He, he changes the subject. He, he, this was never meant to be about Moses. Moses wasn't the hero. God was the one to free them um, and get them out of Egypt, Moses had to look to God. You know, he re responded similarly to Jeremiah when Jeremiah in um, Jeremiah 1, verses 6 to 8, he's saying, no, I'm too young, I'm too young. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak, I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them. I'm with you. I will rescue you, declares the Lord. God didn't dote on him. Rather than assure Jeremiah, oh, you're so talented for your age. Oh, you've got amazing leadership skills, a terrific personality. God simply affirmed himself. God directed his servant off his limitations on onto his limitless powers. Don't be afraid. Be not afraid. He, he said it to Abraham. Be not afraid. He said it to Joshua, to Mary. He's saying it to someone this morning. We're not meant to be doing it. This is all 
about him. He uses the foolish things, 1 Corinthians says, that none can boast. I like the story of Gideon as well. You know, the, um, the Midianites were kind of cousins, really, I suppose, to the Israelites. And, and God was using the Midianites to hurt the Israelites, in effect, because the Israelites had all turned away from God. You know, sometimes the enemy will allow those closest to us to bring us down and make us feel like we're not good enough. Maybe you've had this said to you before, we know who you really are, or we know what you can do. We know your faults. You go, get back in your place. But the Israelites had gone away from God. And and he'd allowed the Midianites to take away what they had. In Judges 6, verses 11 to 14. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Oprah, which belonged to Joash, the son of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles and our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord's abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Now there's Gideon. hiding it all in fear. And what does God call him? You're a hero. He, I bet he looked at himself and went, uh? But God saw something different in him. Judges goes on to say, in um, chapter 17 and verse 6, in those days, everyone did what they thought was right in their own eyes. And I think that that's a, a big issue we have today. You see, when we live out of the soul, we think we're right in our eyes. And we can start to excuse our poor behaviours and our poor attitudes. God does care about your insecurities. But the difference is where your focus is. The one true God responds to our, our insecurities with reassurances about himself. Away from our, I can't do this and on to the one who can. I've got some tips from Hebrews for you. Uh, Hebrews 12, and verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us start fixing, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The word fix, afaro, it means to consider attentively. It means to look away from other things. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. And in Hebrews 3 and verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. We've got to fix our eyes on him and change our thought patterns to be all about him. You know, insecurities will feed us lies about ourselves. It will feed you lies about your worth, but it will also reveal truths about your idols, about your misplaced focus 
and about our misplaced priorities. I follow Dr. Caroline Leaf on Facebook. And I find her just so encouraging. She's all about healthy mind, body, and soul. But one of the things that she was talking about last week was that if you want a better soul health, you've got to start helping others. You've got to take your mind off yourself and go and help others. You see, community is the best antidepressant. If you're feeling low, you get yourselves here week of the 19th to the 24th and you serve and you look to people who have nothing in our community and realise how, how much God has blessed you. And you look around at whose, whose burden you can carry. Who else can you pray for? Stop looking inwards. You know, when we look at just our issues, we just see ourselves. But when we start to look out, There's so many people struggling. Helping others is such a good antidepressant. How is your life working for the people around you? That's what we're meant to be doing. The world's not just about you. It's about him. But let's start serving others too. I've got some good news for you. You can be a failure. Yes. Yes. You can be not good enough. And then you can stop trying to make yourself good enough and big enough and capable enough to carry the weight of the world because God has not designed you to carry the weight of the world. It's not about you. We've got to leave our strivings behind, our strivings to be somebody and just breathe him in. You know, the Hebrews have transliterated the expression of the body, the inhale and the exhale into letter form. You know what they've got? Y-H-W-H. The name that God spoke to Moses on the mountain in Exodus 3.15. We've added vowels, Adonai, to make it make sense. But it's, this is what it means. Yahweh. In its purest form, Yahweh means the very breath. Just hear you say it. Yahweh. Psalm 34, verses 1 to 2. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My very soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Breathe him in. Breathe him in. It's all about him. You know, James 1, I'm coming to the end. Be happy. James 1 and verse 4 says this. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The Greek word, holos, um, the word for complete, it doesn't mean that you've got it all together. <laughs> Hurrah! But it does mean that you are healthy, you are whole, you are sound. It's the word that Peter and John used, you know, when um, they said to the, the beggar, silver and gold we have not, but in the name of Jesus, be well. That's the complete. Be sound. Be whole. You see, your wholeness will take you to places that your brokenness can't. He wants you to be whole, to be free, to be well. It's all about Jesus. He wants you to live free of yourself so that you can truly say, 
It is well with my soul. Thanks for listening to Com Church Talks. We'd love to hear from you, and you're welcome to any of our Sunday services or midweek comms. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.comchurch.org.uk or find us on Facebook. God bless you.